Suicide Zen Forgiveness, the pod that shares the stories of those affected by suicide. Lost a loved one? Attempted it yourself? Did you know that when you share a burden, the load is lightened? Come listen in with your host, Elaine Lindsay. Suicide Zen Forgiveness, the podcast, is for education only. Some of the subject matter could be triggering for those that are newly grieving or in a poor state of mental health. Please call your local suicide hotline or mental health office if you need immediate help. Hello and uh, welcome back. I'm glad to be back with you today. I am, as always, Elaine Lindsay. This is Suicide Zen Forgiveness. And today I'm very honored and excited to present for you uh, not just a, a new guest, but a new friend that I was honored to meet uh, just last week. And this will be. I'm going to apologize now because I have a whining dog behind me and uh, she's too small for me to catch. So we'll just let her do her thing. Uh, my guest, as I said, I got to meet um, in a personal situation last week, which was uh, wonderful uh, because I believe we hit it off right away. And I know you are going to be well, absolutely charmed and touched and and thrilled by the sheer depth and wealth of, I'm going to say humanness because there isn't a better word for my guest, Heidi Stride Hardy. Heidi is and was the mother of Alexandre Baron, who brought an entire community to its knees and opened their eyes to the need for connection when he became an angel by his own volition in October of 2019. Their community knew them very well and nobody saw it coming. So the family's pain became the fulcrum point that tipped the scales into realizing suicide and mental affliction is a reality for every family. With that in mind, you're going to be blown away by everything my guest thinks and has done since that day. So without further ado, Heidi, I so want to welcome you to the show. Hello, how are you today? I'm good. I'm, I'm very glad to see you. And uh, I will apologize to you and the audience because I cannot guarantee there will not be some either whining and or barking. Okay, animals just want to give us their voice too. That's absolutely true. And and one is just settling in. So <laughs> we, we can't be resp too responsible for him. Yeah. On a yeah. more serious note, I, I first want to offer my condolences again on the loss of your son. And I, I was... So I, I don't even have a good word for the feeling I got from you when I met you last week because you said something, and this is, I think, where we can start. You said you are a smiling survivor, and it was such a 
beautiful way to express who and where you are. It, it was, there was no question. I, I had to have you on the show because I think we need a whole bunch of you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So I'm going to let you start where you want to start in us talking about your story and where you've come from that day. Um, okay, well, perhaps I'll start with letting you know that uh, the way I view things is that when my son became an angel, that he gave me his light. So a lot of that helps me to stay stronger and it inspired me, as I said, that it became the fulcrum point for the Light for Change community. And um, as I uh, as I feel his light and energy within me, it helps me see to other people how I should be spreading the word that he would have needed to hear. Um, and that is about having compassion for each other, having community, and realizing how we can heal ourselves. <laughs> With emotional hygiene. Um, oh, that's another wonderful term. Oh my God. So that one is actually Dr. Um, Guy Winches. Okay. And so, but I love it too. It's a great term because it's it reminds us how we have physical hygiene. We get up every morning and we brush our teeth and we brush our hair and we eat our food. And that's taught to us by our parents and it's instilled into us by society as a healthy way to live. Emotional hygiene is the same concept. It's about taking the time to take care of your mind and instilling it into our children so that when they grow up, they have a better concept of how to understand what their mind is telling them. Because we have conversations with our internal dialogue. That, Absolutely. That, you know, and, and I'm just going to stop you for a second because I think that that's a really crucial <clears throat> sorry, emotional hygiene is not something we teach. Yes. And, you know, as you know, this mission is to end the silence, the stigma and the shame surrounding suicide and mental health. Mm -hmm. And and that's part of it is teaching from an early age that it's really important that you practice emotional hygiene as well as physical hygiene. So that's that's an incredibly important facet. Of, of what you do and, and what we all need to do. So I'm um, sorry to interrupt you there. But that's okay. Let's I'll go continue. a little further with the emotional hygiene, but emotional hygiene is, it helps you heal as well as helps you grow. So it's when I say I'm a smiling survivor, I, I mean like we have this tendency to go through uh, traumatic situations and just kind of put them down and then we stop listening to the inner voice and we put on a smile. And when you add emotional hygiene into that equation, it allows you to talk with your inner voice and think, oh, okay, why am I sad today? What am I missing about my son today? What What is making me feel that way today in particular? And it helps you to be able to see the ways you can move out of that pain or grief in that day, right? So when you take the time to understand your own thoughts, it allows you to be able to see how your thoughts apply to your purpose in life. And for me, understanding my thoughts about the loss of my son led to a purpose of 
shining a light on on all the things that we can do to help improve our lifestyle. And luckily for me, um, and unfortunate for the way it came about, like the society had to lose my son's light, and he was such a a great person that it it made us all come together. And so we we are now two hundred strong of people who are out there shining their light, just trying to get people to understand that we're in this together. You know, it doesn't matter your color, your race, your size, and your financial situation. We're all in it together, and we all hold each other up with like what I call a net of help hold hands. So, you know, we come together and we hold hands and we pick you up and that net holds you safe. So. See, more, more, more beautiful imagery from your words. And, and that was something I was also struck by because I, I speak to a lot of people who have been in, in your shoes, who have or lost a friend or lost a parent or lost. And there is such a beautiful, calming warmth and light about you. I, I wish you could, you may be able to feel it through her words and through the camera, but I have to tell you, uh, I think I slept better than I have in ages after I met you Friday. Oh, thank you. That touches me. Yeah, it, it's, you know, it's to have such a devastating trauma in your life and you and your family and be able to come through it with such grace and purpose for others. I don't you... think, sorry, I don't think those that we lost would want us to feel the same pain they felt in making the decision. I think they would rather us understand where that pain came from, which is like, you know, thinking about their thoughts and why, why someone, because life is worth living. If you can get your mind to a point where you don't think life is worth living, there's a lot of thoughts that are going through your mind and trying to understand how society, let alone a teenager who's in the prime of his life with everything, we didn't have a life that had reasoning, like typical reasonings. He wasn't down on his luck. He wasn't aggressive. He was, you know, you're kind of wallflower, typical teenage boy, but it doesn't, it didn't make sense to me how someone that young could view life in a way that it's not worth living. Um, and it, it took me time to realize, you know, we all go through that. I don't know very many people who weren't a teenager once who weren't like to that yeah. point where they feel all alone and like nobody is there for them. And um, that made me realize how much our society is suffering. And I think he, he, you know, it's kind of sad to say, but it's like he sacrificed himself for all of our gain, for all of us to have his light inside to, to feel what needs to change in society, you know? And, and that is the loneliness our youth and our community, our neighbors are feeling. Loneliness is a killer. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, part of part of why we, we speak about our tragedies is to get the message across that 
when you feel alone, whether you're a teenager, whether you're 10 years old, or whether you're 70 years old, you you need to reach out and speak to someone. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm I'm a firm believer in anyone. Reach yeah. out to a neighbor, reach out to somebody on the street. Like just talk to somebody mm-hmm. because that connection, and you said it, like feeling that loneliness and feeling that you're the only one. It's interesting, uh, two days ago, uh, on a news program, a, a very famous person in the U.S. talked about, as a child, feeling he was the only one who felt the way he did, the only one in the world. And I thought, it's so sad, but it doesn't matter whether you're a rock star or whether you are the janitor at somebody's school, there is a time where you need to reach out. And we have not traditionally encouraged people to talk about their thoughts. It's it's funny considering the thoughts are what controls most of it. If your brain says, hey, you're stressed, you start to shake. If your thoughts say, oh, I'm a little bit worried about what's going to happen, maybe you'll start to sweat or panic or maybe avoid a situation altogether, right? Um, And if you think about the reality that everything we do is a choice, then really before we fix our body, we should fix how we choose, right? And how we think. Um, And uh, that's one of the things Light for Change talks about as well is support and recognizing that support comes in many forms. So it's not just the the doctor or the counselor at your school, it, which it, it's everybody. So you might have one friend that is good for listening and another friend who, you know, doesn't listen very well, but gives great hugs, <laughs> you know, and then one that maybe gives their opinion or their, their understanding of the situation. And, you know, you, everybody has a different way that they can be supportive of you. Um, you just have to see it and then express what you need from them. So that's very important because we all tend to say, I'm fine. When somebody asks, how are you today? They say, I'm fine because it's too much to get into that dialogue. But if you choose someone in your support system that you're willing to say more than I'm fine, you also have to say, sorry, I have to go to the pub. You also have to say what it is that you need from them. So you might need to say, hey, today I just need to vent. I don't need to say, I don't need you to say anything back to me. I just need to vent, you know, or yes. whichever it is you need. So it's it's recognizing that support comes in many forms and you can reach out to your neighbors without necessarily having to disclose everything about yourself, just with the information you need to get what you need from that day. It's important that we start teaching from elementary school Mm -hmm. that all the thoughts in your head, number one, they're not necessarily real. Number two, they aren't all true. And number three, you don't have to act on them. It's very true. You're better off to reach out and talk to someone because we don't even teach children that. We're so busy teaching people to be afraid of other people that we don't get there. We, We have to be able to give people the the permission 
to speak to others. Yeah. And I think that what's really what what really stood out to me is your position where you work, I think is incredibly unique because, and I'm, I'm going to have you talk about it, not me, but having the ability to be available makes it so much easier, I think, on people that are struggling or may just need, you know, two minutes of someone seeing and hearing them. It's very important for us to learn to see people. And my position allows me to do that. Um, I'm I'm innately optimistic. And because of all the traumas I went through throughout my life, mm -hmm. that, like kind of the, the tipping point for me was my son. And that's like yeah. took my brain into a whole other level. But um, it taught me to be compassionate. It taught me to see, um, to see that, you know, it doesn't matter how perfect you look, you could have a story, right? And our story yeah. makes us unique. Um, and I think that's what we need to realize, partly in accepting our generational traumas as being acts of loving support, even if they didn't end up in that sort of mindset, yeah. which I can get into another time, but um, that we, uh, we have to forgive what we went through in the past in order to um, be able to talk to each other about what we're going through now. So, Absolutely. you know, and because I went through so much, when I see people do things like their, their expression on their faces are a little bit more, you know, worrisome or, or taunt, you know, we don't necessarily change and go from to when we're, when we're upset, right? Yeah. We, we tend to have our smile still. That's why I say we're a smiling survivor because our smile blockades people from knowing there's something more to think about, right? And it's a trick for yourself and a trick for the people around you, right? Um, but it doesn't mean you should stop disclosing. So the importance of my role is to go to people and kind of say, hey, you know, like you all know what I went through, <laughs> right? So yeah. and then it makes me someone that they can trust going to. And that's why I said about generational trauma, because we've learned to not trust through it, right? Because yeah. that protected us in as we came into the new age that we were just in. Right? Now we're going into an emotional era, but yeah. we were in a very capitalist, productive era. And with that in mind, it was better to not trust, right? Because the previous generations trusted so much, we ended up in world wars. <laughs> Right? Absolutely, and and they came out of that with like a rule that says this is not this is how we behave to stay safe, and that unfortunately led to the pushing down of our emotions, the pushing down of our, you know, all those things that make us special and unique, in order to mold ourselves to what is safe and moves you yes. forward in a way that society can appreciate, and it's good for the moment of what we're living in, but not necessarily for you. And it takes a lot of teaching our family and our community that it's okay that we have these rules. They're not meant to hurt us. They were meant to guide us. Now you need to take that like compound learning. Like, you know, you learn algebra first or you learn ABCs first and then you start learning algebra. You yeah. know, you don't, you don't just jump into calculus. Um, you have to Absolutely. learn the steps, right? And 
I think that's what we need to do first is learn to forgive what the rules that we put in place in society so that we can allow ourselves the freedom to be able to do the opposite of the rules when necessary, you know, like to know when that rule is good for you and when it's not good for you. Right. Yeah. And also sometimes it's not about completely breaking the rules. It, it's about taking, taking a few extra steps past mm-hmm. in order to get where you need to go. Yeah. Um, rules are there for guidance. Mm-hmm. They're not really set in stone. And they're, they're actually a big part of our, our mental health conditioning. Like we call them in mental health, you call them more of a bias than a rule, a bias thought, right? Because it's like, we'll say with men, it's the most common bias thought. A man has to grow up to provide and become married to a wife. And that's, that's their whole end game. And, you know, they have to be strong and they have to, you know, always be protectors. But most men don't necessarily have all of that in them from the get-go they teach themselves and train so they can fit into this role but you know it's i, I kind of went off my thought there but uh, uh our our role is unique unique to yeah. us and when you bend the rules it's not that you're bending them it's that the the bias doesn't apply to how you're growing uniquely right and yeah. you know we can't all be doctors and lawyers some of us have to be the garbage man <laughs> you know absolutely. some of us have to have those dirty jobs absolutely you and, know? and- you know, to your point about men, men traditionally were told, suck it up. You're not, you don't feel, you just yeah. do. Okay. You're riding on your white horse and you save everything. That's your role. That's what you do. You don't, you don't feel. Yeah. And it makes it doubly hard. Okay. Uh, males 45 to 64 <coughs> are one of the most... Uh, at-risk mm-hmm. demographics uh, for suicide, which is really, really unfortunate. But it's because slightly younger millennials are starting to understand that speaking out and, and allowing yourself to feel. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of us have gone through all kinds of different trainings. I know I mean, you, you've done a ton, but feelings, and I've said this for years and years and years, emotions are meant to flow and go. They're not meant to be held on to. Yeah. And, and, you know, one of, one of the, um, the old examples uh, I was taught years ago was about the gazelles on the savannah. Mm-hmm. The gazelles all look and act as one. They'll be grazing, everything's peachy, and all of a sudden one looks up and they all run like hell, okay? And if you watch them, when they stop and one gives the all clear, there is actually, through the herd, there is like a shudder from tip to tail. The whole body shakes off that emotion, that fear, that cortisol, all the all the angst that they went through in that moment. Yeah. And they let it go. Yeah. And we humans, we don't do that. No, it's we don't because we use the our our brains work 
a little bit. Like we need to adapt that sense again. Yes. But as of this time in our humanity's history, our brains kind of work like a filing cabinet. Like, oh, yeah. you just gave me a command. Okay, should I be fearful or joyous? What should I do? Let's look back in the history and file, dig through that filing cabinet. Oh, I found a file. It said last time we experienced this, things turned out good. Okay, be joyous. <laughs> you know, and um, it's hard to turn that that going back through your thoughts yeah. off, right? And the the mental processing that creates our internal dialogue, right? Absolutely. And and they say that the the lizard brain, the, the core brain that keeps us going is is making us survive at that yes. core. It's still in the stage where it's trying to protect us from saber-toothed tigers. Mm-hmm. We don't have that anymore. But the level, when we go into uh, flight or fight mode, the level of stress is such that it is a saber-toothed tiger. Whether that's a loud noise or whether you're in a speeding bus that's about to hit something. Mm. Like, there's no no, um, measure of validity to the fear it's just wow fear or wow joy like there's no there's there's no amount attached so it isn't necessarily valid in that extreme yeah and and that's we have to get to a place where we can take that breath and and let the emotion roll through us and not necessarily you know be on high alert all the time it's so true and i'm going to share with you something from one of my therapy sessions that really stuck with me on this and so when your your soul or your internal mind tells you what to feel and gives you this reaction it sends a signal out it's like an alarm right like when the fire alarm goes off in your house because you kind of overcooked that that meal and it's smoking it's that's all it is it's an alarm but you have the capability to say, thanks, brain. I got the alarm. I'm going to take lead detective role now, right? And then from there, you, you put your detective hat on and you figure it out, right? And not always is the information going to be valid or accurate for what you're going through, but it is going to give you information. It might tell you to notice somebody in the room that maybe there's nothing wrong, but you need to notice them. Maybe not for today, but two weeks from now, you're going to run into them and have a conversation and you're going to be thankful you noticed them that first day, right? And so not everything necessarily needs to detect to an immediate or to a validity, but it does need to tell you that there's something it noticed because your brain reads from your senses. So your your eyes, your ears, your nose, your mouth, your hands, something, something felt or, or pulled an input in. And then your brain said, okay, let's figure out what we're going to do with this input. And sometimes an alarm goes off. And just like when your smoke alarm goes off, you can look around and be like, okay, my house isn't on fire. I'm good, <laughs> you know, turn off the alarm and let's, let's think it out. Right. And there's like, I, there's a whole alphabet of steps you can go through. Right. Yeah. Um, like uh, analyzing what the alarm was and then your beliefs and then yeah. like what you thought the consequences might be, you know, and then becoming the detective. That's just A to D. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, yeah. And then it keeps going. <laughs> I- yeah, and, and there are, okay, this, this, is, this is so critical, and, and it's about those tools that 
are available to us, yeah. but we have to make ourselves, we have to make others aware that the tools exist. Yes, absolutely. And the thing is that until we have all those tools, um, it's very hard to help people see like, for myself, I'm very optimistic. And I am a smiling survivor. I smile all the time. Like, I say smile as much as you can, because even if you, you're tricking your own brain, it helps. <laughs> right? True. Uh, it's true. But, and even being that beacon, I can say with wholeheartedness that you can't just give somebody else positivity. You can't just give somebody else optimism. They have to find it for themselves. They have to learn to understand what their their thoughts are to determine that secret, that little key that's going to be like, oh, I'm unique and special, <laughs> you know, and it's okay to wave my authentic weird flag loud and proud, right? And you can't just give it to someone. You have to help them with showing them the tools. You have to say things like, you know, I went through therapy too, and here's some things that helped with me, but they might not help with that. You have to, you have to be clear that we're, we're unique in our healing as well as our expression of life. Right? Absolutely. And I think it's, it, it's about giving them the space mm -hmm. to, to take what you're offering or not, what, whatever feels right for them in that moment. Yeah. And, and be just being compassionate. I tell everybody, be as compassionate as possible because we all have gone through something, maybe not the same as the other person, but, and we can experience things in different ways, you know, like the six and nine, um, my in my family a year apart we lost my sister-in-law to um covid complications and and health conditions that arise during that time and and it was a year and a day after my son so oh. between my mother-in-law and i we both now lost a child and we both lost a, an extended family member that and both of these two family members were key like the glue in our individual families yeah. right um yeah. natalie held my husband's family together every like social events kind of swoop around Natalie <laughs> she was that person and Alex being my first was the same but her and I we grieve in very different ways yeah. you know and I like to say it's okay it's okay we don't have to I can smile and you can cry but either way we're gonna hug it up <laughs> you know? absolutely absolutely so, um, and it's okay it's okay to be sad it's okay to feel, it's okay to feel, to go through those stages, even though the stages aren't always true, you know, the stages of grief, the, the anger, denial, acceptance, you know, and you do go through them, but they're, they're more cyclical. Like you, you yes. learn, they happen yeah. over and over and you never know, you can be good for one minute and the next minute, you know, for me, it was um, like graduation, graduation oh. coming up. Yeah. And for me, especially I think with, people who lost a friend or a child before there was any recognition that that might happen, you know? Yeah. Um, with graduation coming, I see all of his friends achieving yeah. this milestone and I am just delighted for them. And they come over, they give me a hug, they ask me what I think of their prom dresses and all kinds of things. But the back of my mind is quietly saying, you're not gonna see Alex do this. Yeah. And that starts a whole new cycle of grief. You know, and including blame, like I've moved on to a point where I can help others, but there's still those quiet moments where I'm like, well, what if, what if I did better as a mom? And then I have to remind myself, I did my best. I did my absolute best. I love my child every second of every day. So 
there wasn't anything more I could do, right? There's, those are what he needed. The only thing more I could have done was help teach emotional hygiene younger, right? Instead of teaching him to, you know, life sucks sometimes, buddy. It's okay. Let's, you know, let's find an answer. Let's figure it out. Let's problem solve and we'll get through this. You know, you also have to teach how to brush that pain away, how to heal it, you know, with your drinking the water to flow through, brushing your teeth to remove the bacteria. You have to do the same to your thoughts. Yes. Remove that bacteria from your thought. Remove that negative thinking that aligns with it. Uh, and it takes a different method for each of us. That's why I just compared to brushing our teeth because some brush in circles and it's the same. Um, and drinking your water, you got to let it flow. You got to find that lesson and let the energy flow. And the best, the only thing I could have done more was teach him that earlier, but I didn't know it. <laughs> it took me losing him to learn it. Absolutely. And Maya Angelou says, when we know better, we do better. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, okay, none of us came with a handbook. You know, you, you just keep loving them and you do the best that you can. Yeah. And, and, I mean, that's all you can do. But I think it's important, and I say this very often, uh, because everyone who is on a grief journey, it is a lifetime mm-hmm. journey. Yeah. People who have on occasion said to people, well, okay, well, when are you getting back to being you? Or, you know, when when is it going to be enough? Well, that's not how it works. Yeah. You know, grief becomes a part of you. I think that when you are when you are, are present in the moment a lot as you are, when you take it upon yourself to learn and grow from what you've gone through, you find the places where the flood of good memories can balance off that grief for you at times. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, to, to give an example, um, this one's not about my son, it's about my father. But my father, who kind of instilled this smiling survivor role into me as the precursor, he raised me with that, right? So I raised my son with that. And now I've learned to add another level with emotional hygiene. But I often feel like when I'm driving and the sun hits my face, I'm like, oh, thanks for the hug, dad. Because he would always tell me that when the sun shines and warms you up, it's like a hug. And so now whenever I feel the sun and so those memories, those good memories, they they fill you more than the pain. But the pain, you're right, it doesn't go away. It never does. And you know, it doesn't go away because you loved. No. Right? right? Because you you love them so much that you feel that pain. That emotion is meant to stay. It's meant to remind you how much you are capable of loving someone. Right? And as much as we think, oh, it's not fair. Why do I have to go through this? You're going through it because your shoulders were strong enough to learn whatever lesson you're learning, right? And you you were meant to have that grief as part of how you think, how you move, and how you understand others with compassion. Um, and so you don't necessarily want to get rid of it. You just want to, like I said, you want to expand your vessel. You want to make yourself be able to hold it 
with more grace. So like a, a lot of people refer to grief like a big heavy iron cannonball because it's so heavy it, it fills you. And our bodies like fragile glass vases. Well, if you put a cannonball in a glass vase without anything, you're gonna shatter it in no time. But if you add a little bit of padding and a little bit of understanding around that ball, then you can shake it up and it's just gonna go between the padding. Your your glass exterior won't break so much. So expanding your vessel is like pouring more joy. I'm sure you've heard that the water saying where they throw the dirt in and it became very yeah, hot. Yeah, the rocks. Yeah. Yeah, just keep adding a little bit more and that's how you expand yourself. So you can add more by connecting with other people in like situations. You can add more to your vessel by learning to understand what you went through. Like for me, I, I have talked to like thousands of therapists. <laughs> like I just need to know this brain is like, fill me with knowledge. Um, so that expanded for me. It allowed myself to be able to say, okay, my grief is good. But we all have a different way. You know, it might be community health, like going out there and helping others, you know, and it allows you to hold your grief in a way that it doesn't break you, yes. but teaches you how to use it. Right? Grief is just another tool. It's an emotion that flows, but its effects stay with us, right? Like happiness, you have to choose every second to be happy. There's happiness Absolutely. everywhere, but you can't, you're not going to see happiness on a rainy day when, you know, your dogs run away and your kids are screaming at you. You're not going to see happiness that day, but you, it's there and you have to choose it. And grief is the same. It, it flows away from us and it's a feeling. So it, it does leave and it comes and goes like waves. But if you choose to use the happiness that comes from your grief or the lesson that comes from your grief, then you can expand your vessel expand i say vessel because it's easier to explain yeah. more than yeah. Your no, I think yeah i think it's a wonderful analogy uh that you're using i think that that's excellent and and the, the visual of the cannonball and the glass is absolutely brilliant yeah but it's a part of it is that we are each so different yeah and we have to understand that happiness isn't you grab happiness and it's there forever. Yeah, no. It too is a feeling and it will ebb and flow. And and like you say, you, you have to fill up the vessel. Yeah. yeah, you have to choose. You have to choose to want to see it that way. And I think that's what we misunderstand about courage is courage is that choice. You know, it's the choice to... The, the older definition is to wear your whole heart for everyone to see, right? Um, so you display your, your heart, your cur, throughout the ages, courage. Um, and so that being said, um, you have to just, uh, you have to learn your pain to show courage. You have to understand your uniqueness to jump into something and say, you know, I can keep going. You know, if you're um, in a traumatic experience, most people are going to relate to their fight or flight. Someone who has taken the time to gain their courage or understand themselves um, and their pain can jump forward uh, and step up for other people yeah. because they're not saying, oh, I, I can't do this because someone's going to accuse me they say 
hey, you know what? This sucks. I've been through shittier things. Let's get up and let's do this, you know? And um, I think that's where we have to get to in accepting the negative sides of being alive, you know, is they they flow us, you know? If without war, there'd be no reason for peace, you know? And as much as that's a very global saying, it's the same in our mind. If there was no negative experiences to grow through, we would not learn. You don't fall off your bike. You don't learn to ride it. <laughs> Absolutely, because humans are comparative by nature. Yes. I yeah, I say that all the time. You can't know short if you don't know tall. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know tall. No good things come in small packages. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. But yeah, it's really important that when when you acknowledge those things, that the bottom line is it is always your choice. It is. It's your choice to be happy and it's your choice to feel. And when you need to take that day to feel, that's okay. It's yeah. okay to yeah. take that choice that day because that's what you needed for that day, you know? Yeah, yeah. And and that too, I think, is something that we don't give enough voice to the fact that you have to be allowed to to grieve. You have to be allowed to what I call wallow sometimes. Yeah. You know, just have that that off day where, you know, I don't know, it's marshmallow cookies and pajamas. What <laughs> <laughs> whatever, yeah. whatever uh, you you need in that moment. I think it's just important that you acknowledge you are choosing to feel those feelings. And you give yourself a time frame. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that reflection is important, right? Yes. Uh, like, you, I'm glad you said time frame because yeah. I think that is very important also because there are definitely times when it's not appropriate to express what you're feeling. You know, maybe you don't want to go into a bawling, crying mess in front of your boss. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, not every day. Yeah, so um, there are definitely times, and it's important to set that in, and even not on the days that aren't so bad, you know, like to have that day. A lot of us who partake in the meditation and that world, we've already learned to set that in as a five, ten minute practice every day because it's kind of part of that lifestyle. But everybody can use it, even if you're not meditating, even if it's just sitting and writing a journal for five minutes about what your day was which is why journaling was so important before we became technologically advanced yeah. um, because it, it took it from here and put it on paper. Yeah. But uh, whatever way you choose, giving yourself that time of reflection is very important. Otherwise those emotions, they just stay here, yeah. right? You keep them because you're not letting yourself let them flow out of you. Absolutely. So you got to do both. <laughs> you got to yeah. choose happy and choose to reflect. Absolutely. Because it, it can cause dis-ease when you just stuff everything down mm-hmm. and, and you know that yes it is a choice but something I, I wanted to touch on there about meditation a lot of people think oh yeah I can't meditate I, I don't know how or I don't know whatever if you just take three minutes and close your eyes and just attach yourself to your breath Just breathe in and out for three minutes. That's a meditation. That in itself is a meditation. Absolutely. And the most powerful one, because your breath is the one thing that's always with you. 
you know, yes. you can't take your breath away until you're you're not with us anymore. Um, yes. And so it's always, I, I like to say it's qualifiable and quantitatable. So you can feel it, you can count it, you can observe it. And that makes it the perfect tool for centering. Right? Absolutely. And it's yours, right? Nobody can take it from you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, nobody else can put their name on it. It's <laughs> yours. Yeah. But yeah, there there are um, there are guided meditations in there, and we can have some links on your page to to different forms of meditation for people that are definitely helpful. Yeah. Uh, but being mindful is a great practice, and you can just go outside your door and listen to the birds for three minutes. Or five. Absolutely. Pet your dog or your cat or, or or talk to a neighbor and be present in every moment of that conversation. Yeah. That's a meditation. Absolutely. That's honoring another human. Yeah. And it's like one of the greatest gifts is mindfulness. Because once you've developed it, it's like, you can't turn that back off. No. It's like, I don't know, like when you have chocolates, your brain's like, more please, more please. More and please. mindfulness yeah. is like that. And um, it once you start, and it's sometimes it's hard to pick up, but it's exactly what you were saying. It's just actually listening and being present. And mindfulness is so important to healing because yes. you go outside and you see things like I use the tree as an example. When beforehand, you might see a tree as just a tree. It's just this thing that's growing in my yard. But it's so much more. It's seen the world since it was planted. And for some of them, 200 years, that's older than Canada. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they saw yeah. everything Canada went through. So, like, knowing, like, mindfulness gets to a point where you can see someone and be like, I wonder what your story is. And that opens a whole conversation. So yes. it's great for connection because eventually you want to know. You want to see it. You, you just want to see a little bit more. And your brain is enticed to understand. And I think that's one of the arts we lost. <clears throat> and yeah. it used to be very a very much part of faith, right? Until we started saying, ah, oh, faith. We don't need faith. <laughs> we need science. Yeah. But science answers faith. Science gives us the opportunity to see how faith was mindful and how it taught us and that's one of the things i find most powerful is mindfulness allows you to see the overlay it allows you to see how it's possible for us to be as diverse as we are as humans right and then then it allows you forgiveness once you can see somebody else you can forgive and you can forgive yourself you can forgive somebody that did some very, very not so friendly things to you, right? Like, yeah. it's it's um, it's powerful to learn to forgive in a way that's greater than I'm sorry or, you yeah. know, I, I I I've forgotten about what you've done. It's okay. We'll move on. Forgiveness is like saying, I see how that even came about. How your mind got to a point where you were willing to hurt me in such a way, you know, and that's it allows you to be able to move on and move forward, right? And, you know, some things you never can, you can never get forgiveness for. Like, there's some things you'll just never understand. Like, I will never understand how my son got to that point of thinking because he didn't share with me. Like, everything I saw of him was 
Yeah, he loved being at home. He loved coming to my house, like to to just be alive. You know, he he had a, a joie de vie, and so much so that I didn't ask. Like he had teen angst, right? He was an Avenger type. You know, there's some kid would get beaten up at school, and he'd go in there the next day and avenge that child and and get in trouble. And you know, he he definitely had his things, but I was never concerned. I was always like, you're you're a great kid, man. I can't wait to see you grow up. I was so excited. And there's another part about forgiveness. Um, Absolutely. I, I, I often see the missing that's in my life. Like, yeah. I knew he was going to be a great dad. He's not going to give me any grandkids <laughs> because he's not here. So I'm never going to get to see him pick up his child and spin in a circle with them. And that is something I had to forgive as well. You know, you oh. know. Yeah. Yeah. That is such a good, good point because we don't think about these things. And, and the whole point in essence of forgiveness is to allow yourself the space for joy and abundance and happiness. Because if you are filled with angst and you're not forgiving, and sometimes you don't even know you need to forgive these things because yeah that's a lot of people don't think about that all mm -hmm. the pieces that you'll miss yeah. but yeah it is important and it's important that we forgive ourselves for the things we didn't see mm -hmm. for the things we couldn't possibly have known Sometimes life is beyond your control. And in fact, a lot of life is out of our control. Right? Oh, yeah. we, don't, we don't have any say on the weather or, you know, how grumpy our boss is going to be that day. You know, that's their whole story. You don't know anything about it. <laughs> You're not prepared for that when you come in. Um, but you, you just have to learn to forgive, have compassion, and choose. You know, you have to keep choosing. Yes. Keep choosing to think in a way that's, good for your authentic self, you know, and, and good for the society in an amicable way, right? Like, yeah. you can't just run away and be like, oh, I'm done with this. I'm going to the middle of nowhere. I'm going to escape forever because you're just keeping yourself trapped, you know? Yeah. And so you have to have all those different stages. You have to be able to forgive and then love again, you know, and yeah. it's, it's, it's tough, but we all have a way, you know, there's, Again, it's very difficult to explain this procedure like one, two, three, four, and you're done. <laughs> you know? yeah. Not like that. Um, and for each, it's very, very unique and very much driven by the amount of love you had before, which is why children, yeah. parents, your best friends, they affect us so much more than, you know, a coworker who had an illness or, yeah. you know, even a family member that you were aware that that stage is going to come. Um, yeah. And it's... It's very different, very unique, and the amount of love that you have will determine how much work you need to do to get to that understanding yeah. of the grief that you're going to get to, because love is, is more powerful, and that grief is just protecting the love. It's like the love is inside of it, right? Absolutely. And, and one thing that I found at odd moments, um, sometimes it will just slam into you yeah. like some rogue wave out of nowhere. You're awash in grief and it's, it's okay. 
Mm-hmm. You, you, yeah. have, you have to acknowledge it. Don't try and shove it away. Don't try and stuff it down. Acknowledge it. Let yourself yeah. feel it. And, and then, as you say, choose what you do next. Yeah. And, and often I will replace with good memories and some of the fun we had. You know, different things that allow you to, it's like solve on a wound. Yeah. So one of the, one of the things that, um, that just came up for me while you were talking about that is, oh, wow, I just lost it as I was thinking, um, uh, that, uh, you know, when you when you feel that that wave of grief that intense feeling as much as you want to also bring in the memories like you were saying it it is a reminder that we make our our loved ones immortal so in via de morta right the day of the dead you take a photo and you put it up to show that people still think and the fact that you have those waves of energy keeps that person alive in time right so it it's you feel them still they're still part of you and the more you remember them the more they they stay alive and i actually talk about that when promoting how to be joyous <laughs> yeah you want to be joyous too puppy <laughs> you know it's to create that um that idea that we uh we have immortal the ability to be immortal in how we live our lives so the more people you connect with the more people you interact with the more fingerprints you leave in their conscious mind and over time all those fingerprints lead up to a really beautiful story of experiences and in that united story of experiences all those people along the way they remember you and that's what makes you immortal it's not being alive forever it's being alive in people's minds forever because the core of ourselves is mental emotional, right? So our bodies don't last forever, but our minds do. And as much as we'd like to say, you know, we don't reincarnate, but that's what is meant is our mind continues. Our mind goes to heaven. Our mind goes into this new, depending on which way you view the life after, right? If you get stuck in a timeline, like some people think like heaven is like going back to your most favorite time of life. And some people think heaven is a different idea. And some people think you come back to living on earth and whatever way you think about it, it all revolves around the idea that your mind or the emotional core of yourself, your, your soul, your inner being doesn't go away, right? Just the physical. And so to become immortal means to be something that is cognitive, mental, physical, emotional, and not just, you know, living forever <laughs> right and yeah yeah those memories those memories you build in connection will give you joy and it'll also give them in your passing probably the deepest grief ever <laughs> because they yeah. truly learn to love you and see you and appreciate you and that's why i say grief is important because grief shows us how much we loved right absolutely absolutely and that's it's such a beautiful way to look at it and <laughs> I, I want to. I I can't keep you all day. <laughs> okay. I would. I could probably talk to you all day long. I'm keeping you now for the rest of my life. <laughs> You're oh, in my friend oh, zone forever. You personally, I am absolutely. <laughs> Our audience may need a few other things to do. 
<laughs> well, thank you to the audience for hearing what I had to say now. Well, what what I want to say to you and to the audience is, Heidi, we definitely want to have you back because we haven't even touched on your book and and how how you how you function in the world and what you put out in the world, which I think is absolutely incredible. Oh. So I I would be honored to have you come back as my guest. I will come with a smile and bells on because I think your message is very important. And I really think people need to learn that um, the forgiveness and the Zen state that comes with their grief. I I applaud you and thank you for taking that time to give us the voice to share. Yeah. Well, what can we say? Heidi Stride Hardy, smiling survivor. I want us to make more and more smiling survivors, just like Heidi, as I think, I think Heidi is a real blessing to this world. You're making me smile so much bigger. (laughs) Well, I want to say thank you to you and thank you to Alex for molding you into who you are today and, and being such a gift to the world. So I so appreciate that. For our audience, we will have all of Heidi's links and information on the episode page. In the meantime, I'm Elaine Lindsay of Suicide Zen Forgiveness. And as always, make the very best of your today every day. We'll see you next time. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe on your favorite service. Suicide Zen Forgiveness was brought to you by Truel Social Media, the digital integration specialists. Let them get you on page one in the search results. And also by Canada's keynote humorist, Judy Croon, the motivational speaker, comedian, author, and stand-up coach at Second City. On the stage, Judy draws from her wealth of performance experience, wit, and insight to entertain, inform, and inspire in her dynamic keynotes and half-day workshops.